You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation, and welcome to your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the only podcast that breaks down every game, news item, rumor, and more. Thank you for subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or on Himalaya. My name is David Rommel. The Miami Heat were in Chicago for the first of a back-to-back set this Friday, and they started off, as they often have, with a solid run and building an early double-digit lead. In the first half, Miami was doing what they do best, hitting shots, playing incredible defense, and keeping Chicago from accomplishing really much of anything. At one point, Miami had built a 26-point lead, and it looked like the game was well out of reach by the time the second half started. But then in that second half, we saw the other side of Miami, the not-so-good one, where they got away from doing the things they do best and playing more and more sloppily as the game went on. Head coach Jim Boylan for the Chicago Bulls made changes to the Chicago lineup and pulled starters Zach Levine and Laurie Markinen out of the game, and Miami was holding on to what seemed like a comfortable 23-point lead, but with nine and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, the Bulls got an unexpected boost from backups Ryan Archie DeCono and Denzel Washington. And with Miami's offense stalling, the Bulls hit a number of big shots down the stretch and went on a 32-15 run to cut the lead to just seven points. But then Goran Dragic hit a couple big free throws, and Jimmy Butler went to the line a number of times, six times in total, and hit all six of those free throw attempts. And Miami played just enough defense to hold on for a 116-108 win to improve to 11-3 overall and 7-0 versus Eastern Conference opponents. Miami's win now has them at the second-best record in the East, following a Boston Celtics loss to Denver tonight. There was a big play down that stretch that could have turned things in Chicago's favor very easily. The ball was inbounded to Goran Dragic, who threw it ahead to Jimmy, and as he was trying to move the ball down court around the half-court line, he passed it as soon as he caught it and landed right on Archie DeCono, was called for a blocking call, a blocking foul. The Bulls head coach Jim Boylan immediately issued a coach's challenge, arguing that Butler had committed an offensive foul, and while the replay was pretty close, the referee's initial call stood, meaning that Archie DeCono didn't give Butler enough space to land and that he actually had committed the foul. Butler hit his free throws, and the Bulls' momentum took a major blow after that. They never really had anything going, and Miami had built a sufficient lead where The Bulls just couldn't come back from that point forward. Kendrick Nunn had a big game. He was returning home, obviously a Chicago native. He played high school ball there. His father played there, lived in the area, and he was actually spoken to. He spoke to Jason Jackson during the broadcast, which was interesting to see how excited they were. I think he mentioned something close to 300 members of, of Kendrick's friends, families, and acquaintances were all there. Uh, and it was a huge showing for Kendrick, and he got a lot of support, and he looked like he was energized by it. He started off the game very, very sharply, attacking the basket. He had two three-pointers and, and a, a floater, I think. In order to get eight early points, he finished the game with 21 total points, and he looked really sharp tonight. He was Miami's second-best scorer. Uh, he looked very aggressive doing what he does best. Uh, he played some sharp defense as well, and he, he looked very, very good uh, in his hometown return. Sometimes... That could be a problem. Sometimes players go back home and they're inundated with requests for tickets. It can be a huge pain and something that just kind of takes over the whole moment. They can get a little nervous playing in front of their parents or family and things of that sort. Uh, Kendrick, as we could expect, wasn't really phased by the moment. We haven't really seen him affected by much over the course of this early season. Whether he's scoring 20 points or 30 points or 10 points or 5 points, 
He just doesn't seem to show a lot of emotion. And even tonight, in front of the hometown crowd, he wasn't particularly emotional, just really energized and, and playing very, very solid. He also finished with three rebounds and two assists on the night in 26 total minutes. Uh, but Butler led all scorers with 27 points, including 7 of 10 field goal attempts and 12 of 13 free throws. I know some people had been mentioning in on Twitter that maybe Jimmy wasn't being particularly aggressive or that his shot was struggling or something along those lines. I, I couldn't really understand it. Plus, I immediately dismissed it because on nights like tonight, I mean, he does everything possible. 7 of 10 field goal attempts. I don't know what more you want from your team's best player. But moreover, those 12 of 13 free throws, and that's excellent shooting. His ability to get to the line is is unparalleled, something we haven't seen on this roster since the days of the big three when you had guys like LeBron and Dwayne Wade getting to the line pretty regularly. Even Dwayne in his heyday probably wasn't getting to the line as often as Jimmy does, and maybe that's just a, the league being a little bit different. And you know, obviously Jimmy takes more free throw, three-point shots, and so he gets to the line for those attempts as well. But either way, uh, for him to come up big, up his scoring, and to get those points at the end there. He seemed completely unfazed, much like Kendrick. Uh, you know, he is a clutch performer, and, and we have come to rely on him in these clutch situations. There haven't been many, as Miami has had numerous blowouts you know, over the last five-game winning streak, but at the same time, to know that the game was getting particularly close, not as uh, good a lead as you'd want going into the, the waning moments of the game, but when he gets to the line and he draws the fouls, He's able to knock those down pretty comfortably, and he doesn't seem like he's nervous about the moment, or, or he, he didn't miss it, obviously. So uh, very, very good showing from him. Bam Adebayo was also excellent on the night. He finished with 16 points, 14 rebounds, 6 assists, 3 steals, and a block. Uh, I think a couple of writers, Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer and Zach Lowe from ESPN, all mentioned Bam Adebayo on pieces that came out. Friday morning and it's good for him to get this kind of national recognition because it just kind of emphasizes what I've been talking about all season long what a factor he is his versatility on defense and on offense there's not there's nothing he can do he can't do rather uh, you know maybe he's not knocking down mid-range shots with the same kind of level that we'd want him to maybe he could knock down a 15-footer to space the floor a little bit but with this team and the number of shooters on this roster he doesn't really have to, and he's very, very effective in what he does well. And that's another big part of what makes this season so successful is that he's able to be a very complimentary player, one who gets other players going because of his incredible playmaking ability. Again, six assists on the night for a, a, what is, in reality, a center. Um, you know, That's incredible playmaking ability to get 14 rebounds. He's so aggressive and he's just so smart. One of the things that I think is really underrated about Adebayo is his ability to recognize players. And when I had a chance to talk with him this past weekend, he mentioned how much work he does. And, you know, it kind of counteracts or contradicts what we think of him because of his incredible athleticism and the fact that he can do so much because of his physical tools. But the reality is that he also puts in the time and the effort to, to improve his mental awareness of the game, his basketball IQ, if you will. And that really shows on a night-to-night basis. He's still so young. He's only 22, and he's already demonstrated an incredible awareness uh, and, and, you know, on both defensive and offensive side of things. And that's that's pretty impressive for somebody who only played one year of college and is in his third NBA season. He looks to be, if not an all-star this season, a future one. And I'm not sure if superstar is quite the label for him because his production just needs to go a little bit higher. 
but he's so good at what he does and it's it's quiet production but a night like tonight it's very very effective and that other people around the country are starting to recognize these things really goes a long way with with Adebayo getting the kind of recognition he deserves uh, Duncan Robinson uh, you know he came off a career high 29 points in the previous win but he cooled off considerably fishing, finishing with just eight points and three of nine shooting but I'm mentioning him because he also showed a little bit of awareness there as a shooter and him in particular he still manages to maintain some confidence there even when that shot's not falling he's still going to take it he has what everybody has always referred to a necessary trait for shooters which is a short-term memory if you miss a bunch it doesn't matter keep shooting your way out of it eventually those shots will fall but on one particular sequence there he missed what seemed like three three-pointers within the span of a minute and a half he missed it he missed one three-pointer and one possession chicago went back missed a three-pointer of their own and then Duncan missed two more three-point attempts on the next possession. And then they were able to get the ball back. And he drove to the rim. He recognized that that shot wasn't falling. He saw a lane and he drove and took it. And he nailed that shot. And that was why he hit his one two-point attempt. So that's incredible recognition from somebody like him. And, and you know, he, he's showing that he's more than just a long-range threat. He can do more. He's incredible off the ball, obviously. He's cutting. Uh, the way he moves, the way he can catch and shoot on opportunities like that. Obviously, those are all fantastic things, but his defense has improved. He's still not a playmaker. I'm not sure that we'll see that aspect of him this season. It's probably something he's going to have to add to his repertoire down the road. And I, I don't trust him as a ball handler just yet. But in reality, he's starting to show signs of growth. And I really like the fact that he was aggressive in attacking the basket when his th- perimeter shot wasn't falling. Goran was also very solid off the bench, as we can, you know, we've, we've come to expect. He had 16 points in the night. And uh, overall, it was just a, a good win for Miami. What more can you say? Uh, they pulled away when they needed to. They had a big lead overall. I know that's a concern and something I'll address in the next segment. Uh, you know, the Bulls are not a particularly good team. Uh, the loss dropped them to 5-11 overall, but they were scrappy. And maybe with Philadelphia, uh, the Philadelphia matchup looming large as the 76ers host the Heat on Saturday, this game could have been a trap for Miami. They could have just kind of overlooked a not particularly great Bulls team. But the Bulls do force the most turnovers, about 19 a game in the NBA. And the Heat committed exactly 19 turnovers against the Bulls on Friday, so which is more or less where they have been throughout the season. So... That could have been a lot worse. They could have forced, you know, maybe 20-something turnovers, and then Miami wouldn't have had the kind of production that they did. But in the first half in particular, they were so sharp offensively that it didn't really matter. Chicago's typically good defense wasn't really a factor, and Miami was able to exploit uh, whatever they wanted to. They were able to accomplish it, and they were able to exploit the Bulls' defense pretty easily. And so a lot of that has to do with their incredible passing, the Bulls can't force turnovers when the ball isn't sticking, when it's moving around, when they're fighting, finding guys who are cutting or under the basket. Um, you know, the, the Bulls actually wound up scoring more points in the paint, but the Heat were very effective. Uh, they did shoot pretty well overall, almost 50% on the game, and they shot 37% from three-point range. So not great, but pretty solid overall. And they did, as they have in the, uh, over the course of the season, finish with a high rate of assists on their bait field goals. Finished with 33 assists and 39 made field goals. So a pretty good showing. A little concerning because of the the big lead slipping away. Something I'll talk about in the next segment. But against a team that was at home, that had some incentive to try and beat Jimmy Butler, a former Bull, it could have gone pretty badly. And it did not. Miami was able to do everything they wanted to. And they came out with a win, which is the most important thing. Coming up next, 
Miami has a problem holding on to leads. I'll get into that in the next segment. You're listening to Locked on Heat. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash locked on NBA. If you're listening on the go and you can't visit Audible right now, you can find this and all the other offers from the Locked On sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. player stat of the game in the next segment but first some more thoughts on Miami's continuing problems of blowing big leads it's something we've seen pretty regularly over the course of the season one you know they've managed to build big leads in the first place so that's an impressive thing but it's been a little bit of a concern for fans watching these leads kind of chip away uh, from inferior opponents like the Cavaliers the Pelicans etc and uh, tonight against the Bulls while I was covering Saturday's home game versus the New Orleans Pelicans, I asked Spo about the problem, and here's what he had to say. You've had these huge leads over the last couple of games, and then the teams have kind of crept back a little bit. Has anything stood out as to why you're not necessarily blowing those leads, but why they were able to come back so closely? Yeah, the first thing I'd like to make clear is these are good challenges. Sure. These are the challenges you want, um, trying to figure out how to keep a big lead. I want to do that as many times as we can this year. Uh, the teaching points are obviously it's a long game, 48 minutes, and and with the three-point shooting in this league, leagues can leads can change very quickly. Um, so you have to be rock solid. Turnovers have gotten us in trouble um, in, in a few of these games. Um, fouling uh, you know, lengthens the game. Um, and just overall, uh, you know, the mental fatigue of not staying with it and staying on that razor's, razor's edge. Okay, so not much that you can really pull from that quote, but he did have a good point that three-pointers in particular, uh, as he mentioned in today's league, can erode a lead very quickly, and we saw that from Chicago. They got some big shots from Archie Dacono, uh, Denzel Valentine, who hadn't played much, came in, immediately knocked down a few three-pointers. I think he finished with three shots from the perimeter there. So uh, it can make a huge difference. Um, you know, if you haven't established a rhythm offensively and then all of a sudden get it going, we saw that against the Pistons. I think that was one of the first games where we had a big lead. And then Luke Kennard uh, started to get hot in the second half and he finished with 20-something points, all of which he, he had in the second half. Uh, he didn't. He went scoreless in the first, but Kennard managed to knock down a few shots in the, in the second half and uh, I think it's just it's something that happens uh, with the three-point shooting, you know, being as uh, much of a weapon as it can be in today's NBA. Players are going to be able to convert those over a course of time. And and as Spolster mentioned in his quote, um, the mental fatigue is a factor. Uh, I, I think uh, it's something to consider is that it's hard to, to focus all the time and you're going to get tired over the course of the game and, and you're not going to be as sharp mentally. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to turn the ball over. That leads to turnovers, which could lead to transition points for an opponent. And, uh, you know, I also think that physical fatigue is a factor. And I think that a lot of that has to do with Miami's style of play, especially if you notice how we build those big leads in the first half. They move the ball so much. There's always off-ball movement. There's cutting. Um, 
and that takes some energy to do on the offensive base. I mean, you have guys like Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn and Goron and Jimmy who are moving around, and you have a player like Bam Adebayo who can facilitate. Pretty much the only player who's not moving around a whole heck of a lot is Myers Leonard. But the rest of the roster is pretty much running around constantly around screams, getting open looks, and that could be a little exhausting. Conversely, you also have that kind of energy being spent on defense. That's how they're so effective at forcing turnovers. They get into passing lanes. They're always challenging shots. They're always moving on the perimeter. Those closeouts to perimeter shooters, that takes a sudden burst of energy. And if you do that enough over the course of the game, well, you're going to get tired. Uh, I forgot to mention Tyler Hero, but clearly he moves around a lot without the ball. And even with the ball, he's constantly moving around screens, trying to create shot opportunities. And that kind of thing just builds and builds and builds. And I think you're going to see that teams like Miami, and they can get fatigued pretty easily. Even as great a shape as they're in, as much as they practice this kind of thing, I think they're going to eventually get tired, especially if those shots start to, you know, maybe they don't fall as, as readily in the second half as they do in the first. So that's a concern. I don't know that there's anything we can do about it. I, I, I think... Uh, I think Miami has found a style of play that works best for this personnel. Maybe when you get Justice Winslow back in the lineup, maybe when you get James Johnson playing some regular minutes, if Deion Waiters ever returns and you have a little extra depth there, maybe that frees things up and maybe that, uh, you know, maybe guys won't get as tired. Maybe you can have more players that can you can use effectively. Go a little deeper in the bench, play 11, 10 deep, you know. And if that's the case, maybe you won't get as tired in the second half. But for now, I don't think there's anything that Eric Spolster or anybody can do about it. The players have all talked about it. They want to be sharper, but it's not easy for them to do. And you start to see occasional sloppy plays start to build up. And it's the NBA. I mean, every opponent, no matter how bad they might look on the on paper, is going to find an opportunity and take advantage of those. Uh, we saw that against Chicago. You know, you, took, you take away two starters, arguably their two best players in Markin and, and Levine put them on the bench and you think this team's basically done. And then you get a guy like Archie DeCono and Valentine and they come in there and have big shooting nights and all of a sudden momentum shifts in their favor. Of course, they're playing at home too. And again, that energy that I had mentioned before, um, it shifts completely in Chicago's favor. And so uh, it could be dangerous. I, I think as many people have pointed out, this is not an original thought, you know, against better teams, they'll find ways to exploit this pretty easily. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see how Miami is able to respond. They've got a big matchup on Saturday when they play the 76ers. The 76ers also played on Friday night, but we'll see if Miami is able to muster the same kind of energy and be able to hold on to, if they're able to establish a big lead first, and if they're able to even hold on to it, uh, it should be a pretty interesting matchup and, and definitely the funnest, I think, of the season so far. I'll get into the stat and player of the game next, but right now you're listening to Locked on Heat. subscribe to new and archived episodes of Locked on Heat on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please leave a rating and a review, especially if it's a good one. So my stat of the game, 86. And that's the percentage of free throws on Friday night against the Bulls, where the Heat went 24 of 28. I remember earlier in the season, it was a concern after a number of games where Miami's free throws, uh, they they were struggling to hit those free throw shots. 
There were a few games there when they were in the low 70s, and that was a concern, especially in the second half when um, they hadn't gotten into this kind of comfortable rhythm on offense and they weren't necessarily building these huge 20-point leads. Um, they weren't making their free throws either, and so they started off the season, again, around the low 70 mark. I took a question, I think, for a mailbag asking me what I thought the, the free throw percentage would eventually increase to. I said somewhere around 78 79%. Tonight, 86%. Nights like tonight, obviously, are going to push that percentage a lot higher. Right now, um, even with the drastic, the drastic improvement and Butler's return, the Heat is shooting only 74.6%. So, slightly better than what they were, and that's up to 23rd in the league. So, not bad. Uh, not the worst. Um, and, you know, that's where they've been over the last couple of seasons with Hassan Whiteside shooting as many free throws as he did, with guys like Dwayne being arguably Miami's most prolific free throw shooter. And that was a problem because he wasn't hitting those at a pretty consistent rate. But you get a guy like Butler who hits them so well. Tyler Hero, Goran Dragic, and others. Even Bam Adebayo, probably Miami's worst free throw shooter, is still hitting them pretty well. And, and so I, I think you're going to start to see that percentage pick up slowly over the course of the season. And it should wind up at around 78, 79% as I expected it to be. The player of the game, well, who else could it be? Jimmy Butler. Um, as I mentioned before, um, you know, just continues to do so much. If you have concerns about his shooting, don't. Uh, you know, I, I'm glad to hear John Crotty pointed out on the broadcast because it's something I've mentioned before that he's just Butler is very, very good at picking his spots. He knows when he can turn it on, when to back off a little bit, when to be more of a playmaker than an aggressive scorer, and how to balance the two. Those are incredible things, and and I've mentioned it even before the season started, that I think this was a, an MVP-type season. For, it would be an MVP-type season for Butler. I think he certainly lived up to that. I know the MVP conversation is all about narrative. It's about well, which player can guide which team to something unprecedented or what can a, you know, which player can accomplish something as an individual that no player has done before, ergo you know, Russell Westbrook. And, uh, you know, Jimmy's not going to... Uh, you know, achieve a triple double, or he's not going to average a triple double for the season. His his production isn't going to be as high as James Harden's or Giannis Antetokounmpo's or even LeBron James or Anthony Davis's or even Luka Doncic. He's just going to put up a lot of numbers. He's going to do a lot as a playmaker. He's going to get some rebounds as well, and he's going to play better defense, I think, than any other MVP candidate. So right now, I'd say he's probably playing as a top ten player in this league. That's probably not good enough to get legitimate MVP-type consideration, but I, I think it's deserved regardless because he's helped unlock this Miami offense and this defense and made this team a really fun group to watch, and, and that can't be discounted. It should be taken into consideration. It won't, but it should be. The scapegoat of the game, from the Miami side, I didn't actually see anybody who was a problem. I mean, there was the... The overall fatigue that set in in the second half, but even that wasn't as glaring a problem. You know, they still had that big lead, and you have to give Chicago credit. They were able to knock down some shots that nobody expected them to knock down. Uh, Denzel Valentine is not that kind of shooter, and he had an incredible performance in the fourth quarter in particular. And so uh, my scapegoat of the game is actually on the Chicago side. It's Zach Levine, um, who did struggle on Friday. He was... Uh, you know, he finished with a minus 19 as far as his plus minus rating is concerned. He finished with just 15 points on six of 14 shooting. He missed all four of his three point attempts. He did have three free throws and he knocked all three of those down. But at the same time, uh, he, you know, he doesn't play really good defense. And 
I think it's going to be a source of friction. As the Bulls continue to rack up more losses, there's going to be some tension in that locker room. Jim Boylan's approach can be a little aggressive, can be a little difficult. And I know we started to see that when he took over the team last year. Uh, He butted heads with Levine and supposedly they had smoothed things out. I know on a recent podcast with Zach Lowe, Levine talked about his relationship with Boylan and thought it was pretty good. But uh, tonight after the game, he had this to say about being pulled out of the lineup. I guess I was to blame for it. I've gotten pulled early before by him, meaning Boylan. I guess that's just his thing to do. Just got to take it in stride. I'm not the coach. Now, that doesn't sound like a player that's particularly happy about Boylan, about the loss, about much of anything. And so I wonder if this is going to be a, a consistent source of friction for the Bulls throughout the course of the season. But either way, on the Miami side, a pretty solid performance overall. And uh, no player had a particularly glaringly bad game. And and I think they all tried to do whatever they could in order to help Miami achieve their goal, which is a victory in the United Center in Chicago. But right now, Miami has to look forward to one of their biggest matchups of the season when they travel to Philadelphia to face the 76ers. Josh Richardson was listed as out for Friday's game. The 76ers played, as I said before, on Friday. He was out for that game, and he's listed as questionable, but he was also shooting around before the game on Friday, and so it looks like he might be nearing a return. We'll have to see how that plays out, but there's going to be a lot of tension there. I expect Jimmy Butler to get booed, but I also expect you all to be watching and to send in your questions and to tune in for tomorrow night after the game for a full recap. That's it for today, however. You can connect with me on Twitter using the hashtag AskLOHeat or email me at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. I'm David Ramil signing off and thanking you, as always, for your support. Yeah! Um.